Well, I'm exhausted. (laughs) Wow. Just wow. You know, is it the time change? Is it Halloween candy hangover? Bring it, man. All right. So we're looking uh, at the parables of Jesus. We're going to continue that today by looking at uh, Matthew chapter 20, uh, verses 1 uh, through 16. Becky, go ahead and put my notes up there uh, just to kind of set this in context for you. So uh, this is the parable that's known as uh, the parable of the workers in the vineyard or, 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 or whatever, the, the unfair boss, whatever, whatever your bent is. Um, as we'll see, it's really less about... Uh, uh, wage and labor negotiations and more about uh, uh, God's goodness. So, um, but we have to get this in the context. So one day Jesus is out uh, teaching, doing the things that Jesus did. A young rich man came to him and said, what must I do to be, to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, uh, uh, obey the commandments. And he said, well, I've done this <clears throat> since I was a young man. What else is there? And Jesus, knowing that he was rich, says, well, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and follow me. He goes away sad. So the disciples are watching this, and they're beginning to try to figure out, well, if, if this, this, seems, this seems really difficult, this seems really hard, if a rich guy can't get into heaven, how, how's this going to work? And Jesus says, well, you know, things that are impossible with men are possible with God. So Peter's doing some calculation and comparison in his head. And he begins to think, you know, uh, I've given up. He said to give up, you know, sell your your goods and give to the poor. Peter begins to think, well, I've left everything to follow you. And the question with that is, so what am I going to get? Where's the payoff? Right? So Jesus is 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 uh, looking at them and begins to answer this question, and he says, "Well, you know, uh, let me reassure you, Peter, and let me reassure all of you uh, that you, whatever you've left, will be restored to you ten times over. You'll sit on thrones. Um, but what you need to understand is, as Jesus says, many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then he tells the parable that we're going to look at." And then he says, he switches it at the end, so the last will be first and the first last. Now, here's the thing. Let me, let me just say this right, right, off, right off the bat here. Every single one of us walks around with a calculator comparing ourselves and our blessings or our perceived lack of blessings with other people. We just do. You're doing it all the time, all the time. I'm doing it all the time. Uh, and what we really want is uh, not just the reassurance here, not just a, a, an understanding of grace, but what we really desire is to be first. Several years ago, we had a uh, an anniversary celebration. It was a kind of a random year, as I remember. Anyway, we had Pastor John Hall uh, from uh, Charlottesville here, and he preached. And one of the things that he said that stood, stood out to me was he talked about grace, and he used the example of the way grace works in our lives, and that is you're running a race. Now, my son was sitting next to me who was a cross-country runner, track runner, very competitive, and so he perked up. You're running a race. He runs races. He's into this. And John said, so you're running the race and you're near the finish line. 
you're about to win the race and you look behind you and you see somebody else who's running the race who's fallen or is hurt. So you stop running and you go back and you get them and you help them cross the finish line. You lose the race. And he leaned over and said, should I do that? And I was like, no. (laughs) No. No. That's a good example, but no. What should I do then? Well, win the race and then go back and help whoever's hurt. And that way you get the best of both worlds. You win the race and you have a clean conscience that you help somebody who's lame, right? So, so we all win in that scenario. Uh, you're first and, you know, because in the immortal words, right, of, of Ricky Bobby, you know, if you're not first, you know, if you're not winning, you're losing. And if you're not first, you know, come on, right? So after all, that's the way we kind of think about our lives, right? That's the way we approach things. That's, that's exactly what's true of us. And so we are walking around carrying this kind of comparison, this kind of calculus about the blessing or perceived lack of blessing of God in our lives and in the lives of other people all the time. So as the disciples are there thinking, well, this rich guy, he's not going to get into heaven. Now, we've left all this stuff, so if the first are going to be last, then then this must apply to me somehow. I need to be reassured that, that I am going to get what's coming to me. And so Jesus tells this parable in the midst of that discussion. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose With what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. So as we as we look at this, as we think about this, this is exactly what is it's happening to us all the time, right? There is a a sense in which we are in a race, really, with one another to try to understand how this works. And and the fact is, what what we have to see that Jesus is getting at in this text is is that grace is the great leveler, right? First is last, last is first, 
all of this stuff that we carry around, all the calculus that we carry around, all the way in which we work through this, none of this stuff matters in the face of grace because grace humbles the proud, lifts up the poor, uh, and is always the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God applied to us in lavish amounts, in boundless ways that change and, and, and reorient us all the time. But the problem is, for us, because we have this kind of comparison going around, we walk around all the time looking at one another and looking at others and assuming and thinking that somehow or other there's some sort of calculus or some sort of thing that's going on where these people get more or if they got that, then why don't I get this? Um, we do it all the time. And what Jesus is getting at is, you know, don't, don't think about it that way, that grace is grace. That you do not earn it, you do not deserve it, but the, the vineyard owner, the one who is the, the distributor of grace, uh, uh, is sovereign, in control, and lavishes upon all of us as he sees fit. And that's good. You know, that's our hope. Uh, that's, that's what we, we, what we count on, right? So let's look into the, let's look into this parable a little bit and, and draw some conclusions. Now, this parable is told to the, to the disciples, is told to, to people who are like us. And <clears throat> people like us who probably look at our lives and think, you know, we've given a lot, we've done a lot, we've served a lot, we've been Christians a long time, we've done all of these things. And so what Jesus is saying is to us, uh, as well as to them, you know, ultimately, uh, those things don't matter nearly as much as we think they do. What matters is the heart of the Lord who calls us, right? So, so he begins to tell this parable. So a vineyard goes into the marketplace five times throughout the course of the day. Now, one of the things that you have to, uh, see about this is, is something, uh, that's, it's pretty hard for us to understand because most of us uh, get up and we go to work. We have a job. Uh, but there are many people, uh, people who work in industries uh, like agriculture or in construction, who go to a place in a town and they wait. And hopefully during early in the day, uh, the contractors, the farmers or whatever will come out and will hire those people to come and work for them for the day. Right. And so it used to be, I don't know if it's still this way or not, but the area down in Shaco Bottom under all the bridges near uh, what's Bottoms Up Pizza used to be a place where guys would hang out and they'd get picked up to work, right? Uh, and uh, contractors, painters, people like that who needed laborers would go down there and grab those guys and take them and, and pay them for a day's work, put them to work, Right. Um, most of us probably don't live like that, but, uh, I remember many times my father, uh, when he was a welder and a steel rigger and those sorts of things, he would go and wait at the, uh, the office of the union and, uh, someone would come in and say, I need a welder today. And he'd go and he'd work for the day, right? Uh, and if, and if nobody hired you, uh, you went home, you didn't get paid. You didn't get paid. I was recently talking with my son, and he kept using the language. He's looking for a job, and he kept using the language PTO. Well, you get this much PTO, and you get this much PTO. And I'm like, PTO? What is that? 
And he said, paid time off. Paid time off. Sounds like a gift. It's good. I hope all of us get a lot of paid time off, right? Um, that that's, that's pretty valuable, right? Uh, I wouldn't work for somebody if I didn't get paid time off, except if I didn't have a choice. <laughs> These guys don't have a choice, okay? Now, it's, what's interesting is, is, is something that's, uh, as the landowner goes out five times to hire, one of the things that's mentioned a number of times about them is that these guys are standing. The text says they're standing idle waiting for somebody to hire them. Now, depending on where you fall on this, you might emphasize idle. See, they're idle. Or you might emphasize, no, they're actually standing. They are eagerly anticipating, looking for, desiring to be employed, right? And so... Um, uh, he goes out five times during the course of the day, and each time he sees these guys in the marketplace, he takes them to do uh, to do work. And he says to the first group that he'll pay them a denarius, which is about what a day's labor was worth. It would be in today's money around 120 to 150 dollars. That that's what he's going to pay them for the day. Uh, the other four groups, he says, I'll pay you what's right. I'll pay you uh, what's just. Right. And so uh, it's one of the things that you have to ask about this is, um, why does he do this? Why does he go five times? Is it because uh, the first time he goes, he can't get enough workers or that the, the first group are not very good workers. And so he needs other ones. Why does he do this? And why does he do it when we know uh, that he has a foreman? Right. We we find out in the middle of the parable that he has a foreman and the foreman is the one who in the uh, in the end is the one who delivers the pay. Why? Why isn't the owner? Isn't he too busy? He's a he's a CEO of an agricultural conglomerate. And yet he takes the time five times during his work day to go out into the marketplace to call these guys to come to go work in his vineyard. Why does he do that? Well, what you have to see about that is there's a window into his heart. There's a window into the grace and the, the, the desire to, uh, of, the, of the vineyard owner to love and to care for these guys. And it's a pretty profound thing that he does that. And, and that he goes, he goes five times. This is what's important to him. This is what matters to him. He, not just that he wants to know these guys, but he wants to love them and uh, to, to do this for them. Um, I think this is a, 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 it's important for us to understand uh, because we tend, um, most of us tend to devalue uh, work. And the reason why I know you devalue work is because every one of us has things that we think about and we think, I would never do that. That's beneath me. Until, of course... It's not. Ten years ago, when we were into the throes of the uh, uh, Great Recession, I remember being furious with the Lord, just furious, because I saw uh, lots of people who were hardworking folks who lost their jobs through no fault of their own, and the loss, not just of the income, but the loss of dignity that came with that, 
was a profound thing, and it had a profound impact on, on a lot of people and on a lot of families, right? So, so as, the, as the vineyard owner goes out and he looks, he's seeing what he, he has to offer here. is not just to get laborers for himself. He needs the work to be done. But he's also doing this in a way to minister to, to care for, and to provide dignity for these guys who are waiting. Because here's the thing. Uh, if you're a day laborer and you don't work, you don't eat. Your family doesn't eat. It's, it's not an issue of, well, you know, I'm, I might miss some benefits or my health insurance or something like that. You don't have anything to eat when you get home. And you got to face your wife or your children, your, your, the people that depend on you and say, no work today. No food today. Next slide. So I came across this quote that I, I thought was, was pretty helpful from Kenneth Bailey. So he would say, what is justice for an unemployed man or woman eager to work who does everything in their power to find a job? What about those who are willing to stand in a public place all day long and endure the humiliating and maybe pitying, and those things might not be that different, right, uh, glances of those who are more secure, right? Listen, the, the fact of the matter is you were made to work, every one of us. I know this is bad news for some of you that you think work is the result of the curse, <laughs> you know, the result of sin being in the world, but it's not. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, if they'd never sinned, you'd still work. Now, the job would be a lot better <laughs> than, than, than the job you're doing now, but you'd still work. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the misconceptions that we have about the new heavens and the new earth is that we're going to be floating around on these clouds, plunking these harps, polishing our halos, right? That ain't happening. That's good news. You know, we've lost the, the sense that a life lived in the presence of God is lived in the presence of God on the factory floor, on the scaffold, in the office. Yes, that's how God blesses us. That's, that's how he provides for us. And, and, and there's something inherent in human beings that, that makes work, uh, give, that gives us dignity. Because think about it for a second. The guy goes out five times. Why doesn't he just give them something? Why doesn't he just give them some food? Why does he hire them? Why does he go to the trouble to take them even at the very end of the day to come and say, here, come work for an hour? Because work gives dignity. And it is a gift of God. It is one of the graces of God. It's one of the things that we know about us that we reflect the image of God. Our God's a worker. And so when we work, even if it's working in a vineyard, there's a sense of which we're reflecting the image of God. And there's something that this owner understands that. So he's not just providing. He's not just giving money to these guys, he's actually loving them in a way that ministers to their souls, right? That it's giving them dignity, right? He's giving them not only gainful employment, but dignity. And so one of the things that's profound about that is you have to begin to get a sense of the heart of, of this vineyard owner, that he loves people and that he wants to see people not just fed, but he wants to see them employed and enjoying the full dignity that God created them to enjoy and that Jesus Christ died to give us. And so he employs them in the vineyard. 
So at the end of the day, it's time to settle up. And the vineyard owner goes out of his way to make it clear that this is not just an issue about training people about work. It is that. But it's also a lesson in grace. And so he tells the foreman, bring them in, start paying them. But pay the guys who worked an hour first the same wage that the guys who worked all day. He's picking a fight. (laughs) Okay? Let me see if I can offend you. (laughs) Okay? Where he, he wants, he wants to offend, right? So here's the thing about this. He's loving the guys he hired first by teaching them about grace. Because the truth is, unless you've been offended by grace, you don't know it. Unless you've been offended, unless you've been scandalized, you don't know it. Uh, when I was in seminary, um, and you would think seminary would be this wonderful, almost like heaven kind of thing, right? Everybody's studying to be ministers. We all quote the Bible to each other. No sin, you know, it's just... I worked on the seminary maintenance crew to be able to put myself through school. And so I would often have projects that I would have to do in parts of the school where there were guys were playing um, ping pong, other students, or pool before they went and studied and I was fixing their toilet. And I would think, God, what are you going to do about this? Are you going to, you going to address this? When, when's the score going to get evened up a little bit here, right? And what made it even harder was, you know, these guys were, were Christians, right? So there's plenty of stuff in the Bible about you know, don't fret about uh, the well-being and the blessing on evildoers because their day's coming. But I, would, I didn't even have that satisfaction because I'm like, these guys are going to be in heaven. Rats, you know? I mean, I can't even, I can't even comfort myself in the fact that, you know, they're going to get judged someday. This, this is terrible. This is unfair. Really unfair because it's unfair to me. That means it's really unfair. Right. So until we come to grips with grace, until we come grips, come to grips with the fact that all grace, the fact that the favor of God, the application of the atoning work of Jesus Christ is in his hands and he applies it as he sees fit in grace and mercy and love. And that we all get blessed in that. Until we, until we come to grips with that and see and look around and see God being blessing and, and being gracious and being merciful profoundly to those that we think don't deserve it. And until we can put ourselves in that place where we don't deserve it, we'll miss the scandal of grace, right? So the thing is, we read this and we think there's a problem here with underpayment. But the, the problem's really not with underpayment but it's a problem of evil eyes of judging others because we think they got overpaid, right? 
That's, uh, that's, that's the real problem with this. And that's what's happening, uh, to us when we begin walking around and comparing ourselves, uh, in, in this way, right? So it's not so much that I got underpaid, although, you know, I would like more. The fact is these other people who are undeserving got paid the same I did. And that looks to me like overpayment. Now, what's interesting about this text is just like the, the, the text of the prodigal son, this is not resolved. The issue here is not resolved, right? In the, in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, uh, at the end, the father is urging the older son, who's the self-righteous guy, to come into the party, right? But we never hear whether he comes to the party. We never hear whether the workers that were hired at 6 in the morning um, accept their payment and rejoice in the goodness of the vineyard owner, right? Do the outraged workers keep shouting at the owner or do they take their pay? Okay, three quick things. This, let me be clear about this. Comparison is always bad. Always. Always bad. Always. Did I, did I make myself clear about this? It's always bad. Always bad. Does not lead anywhere good. Leads to jealousy. Leads to ultimately rejecting the goodness and the grace of God, right? Parents, stop it. Stop it right now. Quit looking over your shoulder at other people. Quit looking over your shoulder at people who have a spouse and you don't. Quit looking over your shoulder at people who have good health and you don't. Quit looking over your shoulder at people who have a nicer house or a nicer car than you don't. Right? Quit... This, this whole business of this is ultimately going to put you in a place where the grace and the goodness and the provision that the Lord has given you is going to be seen as something as you're being underpaid, that he's not being fair, that he's not being just with you. Comparison's always bad. One day, Peter brags to the Lord that he will never leave him. He then goes on to deny him three times in the space of a few hours. He goes out and he weeps bitterly. Jesus is crucified. He rises again from the dead. Peter goes fishing. And he and the other disciples are fishing. Jesus is on the the lake bank. He tells them to fish on the other side. They catch fish. He um, uh, realizes it's the Lord, goes over to to the lake bank. The Lord's there fixing him breakfast. The Lord restores him. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. You would think that would be kind of like the high point of life, right? Like it doesn't get any better than this, right? And so they're walking down the beach. And Peter looks at John and says, hey, Lord, what about that guy? And Jesus says, so what if he lives until I come back? What difference does that make to you? Follow me. What difference does it make? I love you. I'm for you. I care for you. Right? So comparison's always bad. Grace is the Lord's to give. It belongs to him. One of, one of the things that we have to see about this is, is that the, the, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the righteous life that he lived, those things are gifts to us. 
And so when we think we are being gracious to other people, we, if we are being gracious to other people, it didn't come from within us. Grace, the source of all the grace in the universe, is, does not reside first in the human heart. It is in the heart of God. It is in the heart of the vineyard owner. And, and he displays that grace in and through and to us. Right? And then lastly, in the end, every one of the workers is blessed. All of them are blessed. All of them uh, get uh, um, more uh, than they should get, and they get exactly the grace and the mercy that was promised to them. If the Lord has promised grace to you, if the Lord has promised goodness to you, he will see to it. That's what it means when it says he's just. It's not, not because he's judging between wages. It's because he said he would give this to you, and he is good to give that to you. Um. This is such a this is such a, a, a profound and, and important uh, thing for us. You know, I think we uh, walk around with a well. Rather than look upon the fact that the Lord has blessed us, we'd rather look upon the fact that we have something missing. Um, one of the things that. Um, I think is is kind of powerful for us to unpack and to think about is uh, as you uh, think about your comparison, as you think about the way you look at your life and the way you compare yourself to others, um, think for a minute uh, not about an inventory of what you lack, but an inventory of what God has given you. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's use this prayer of confession to uh, confess our sins. Heavenly Father, we come before you confessing our sins. Our thoughts are not like your thoughts, selfish desires and even passions, and their godless fruit, cruel words and unjust acts. Keep us, Lord, from pride and arrogance, and from scornful judgment of others. Keep us, Lord, from worshiping the blessings that you have given us. Keep us, Lord, from trusting in anything except your grace. Jesus, you know our temptations and struggles firsthand. Show sinners your abounding grace, that we may seek your righteousness by faith and that we may wonder at redeeming love. We are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Strengthen your church by your Holy Spirit to walk with you in the joy of liberty.
believer, hear the good news. God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So the scriptures tell us on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it to his disciples. You have admission to the table of the Lord today, not because of your abilities, not because even of your lack of abilities. Uh, You have admission to the Lord's table today because Jesus makes the way, because Jesus is the way. Um, And that's the great news that we celebrate as we come to the table. Um, The the fact of the matter is, for most of us, uh, and for many of us, we struggle every single day thinking, believing that somehow or other, grace means I work really hard and Jesus makes up the difference. Or I work really hard and Jesus owes me. Or, well, I'm working harder than that guy and I certainly deserve more than he has. The good news for us today uh, is that our vineyard owner sees us and loves us and has promised to bless us and provide for us, to give us eternal life in his son. Jesus died to do that, and he will be good and just to keep his word. That's our hope. That's what we bank on. Uh, We don't bank on our hours in the vineyard. We bank on the word of the vineyard owner. That's what we trust. And that's what we lean into. And that is what gives us admission today to the table. Listen, five groups of workers hired at five different times. And at the end of the day, they hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Praise God. That's good news. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where that's your only hope, even though you struggle to believe it, you've confessed that to a body of believers somewhere. Jesus says, hey, come on, taste and see, be nourished, be nurtured, be renewed in the goodness and the scandalous grace of the Lord. As the elders and deacons come down front uh, this morning to, to help me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, all the inner rings are grape juice, and all the bread is bread that is gluten-free if you require that.